All right, if you have your, if you have your Bibles, go ahead. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6 uh, as we continue to look here. Uh, we're, we're in, okay, so we're in this war with the evil one who wants to do uh, evil to us. We need to be uh, delivered from that evil. That's why we're, uh, we're praying to be delivered from evil. So what do we do uh, in the midst of that? Well, we do, like we've seen, we do all sorts of things. Uh, but what do we do? We get all those sorts of things. We get everything in place. We get our, we get our thoughts right. We get our, our actions right. What do we do? Well, then we stand and fight. Okay? So when we're talking about spiritual warfare, the last thing that we're going to see is that last week, as we saw, we, we stand, and we saw what it means to stand. The Bible tells us to stand facing the enemy. You stand toward the enemy. You stand against the enemy. You stand firm. So there's a lot of descriptions of the Christian in the spiritual battle. What we do is we stand, and we're able to do that because we have confidence. We have confidence in the Lord, uh, confidence in His power, confidence in His faithfulness, that He can and He will, that He is uh, in control and He is good. All of these things enable us to be able to stand against not just evil, but the evil one, right? To be able to stand in the midst of these battles that the evil one is, is bringing us. So we have confidence in the Lord and we have confidence in our armor. We saw that was the, the last thing. We're putting on the armor of God. We're confident because it is, it is His armor uh, and not just because it's his armor, although that should give us lots of reason to be confident, also because it's his armor that he has given us. He gave us that armor for this purpose, in order to stand. The purpose of the armor is to enable us to stand. And so since we've got the Lord's armor and he's given it to us for this purpose, we're then able to stand, to stand facing our enemy, to stand against our enemy, and to stand, uh, to stand firm. So with that confidence, what we've got now is we're there and... The devil is there. Now what? Uh, so we're going to see with that confidence. And we can say, with that confidence, we don't flee. But do we just stand there and take it as well? We're going to see there's actually a, it's not just the Christian. It's not just to be passive and sort of accepting what the enemy brings against us. We are active. Uh, so we stand. But that's not all that we do. So let's read Matthew chapter 6. We're going to continue to see this as part of how God is delivering us from evil. Let's stand together as we read God's word. And then we're going to see what we do uh, beyond just standing. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All right, you may be seated. So we stand as Christians, but we just, we don't just stand. We stand and we fight. Okay, so we stand and we fight. And it's that fight part that we're going to look at today. We'll look at it today and next week as well. How do we fight against the evil one? How do you and I, I mean, we know all our foibles, all our failures, all our flaws. We know all those things. How is it possible? We can't, I mean, we can't even understand. We, it's, it's hard for me to grasp being able to stand against the evil one. Like, or, or to stand and face the evil one, right? Like, when I'm scared, like, I might stand, but it's going to be like this, right? Like, eyes closed, I'm walking into the room, and I'll, but I'll just close my eyes like this, so if anything jumps out, it'll only scare me this much, uh, you know? How do I stand and face the enemy? So not only am I going to stand and face the enemy, I'm supposed to fight him. 
Now, how in the world is that possible? And yet we're going to see that's exactly what God calls us to do. He calls us not just to sin. So we're facing against the enemy. We're not just facing it. We're standing against his plans. But what does that look like? What does it look like when we begin to fight the evil one? So in order to understand that, let's understand just some general truths about our obligation, not just to be a passive participant in the fight against evil. Your job is not just to be there in the fight and continue to be there. Your job is, is, to, is to fight the evil one. We're, we're, not, just, we're not just survivors. of the, Our job is not just to survive the battle. We're not just survivors of the battle. We're not, just, we're not just spectators of all that's going on around us. We are soldiers in the midst of the battle. We are fighters and we are called to fight. So let's see that in Scripture. The first thing we're going to see is, if we're going to understand, that we don't just stand, we fight. The first thing we need to see is that God calls us to fight. God calls us to fight. You can turn to 2 Timothy uh, to begin. But in the battle against evil, we've got to understand we are fighters. Uh, we're, not, we're, not, we're not just spectators. We're not just watchers. We're warriors. We're soldiers. And we're not just soldiers because we want to be, right? We're not just soldiers because you and I have decided, you know what, I'm going to be a, a soldier for the Lord. We're not, we're not even just playing warrior. I remember when I was growing up and, and I used to imagine what it would be like uh, to be in the, you know, the battle of Armageddon, right? And I pictured Jesus, on, you know, I was very much, I just reading like, the, the like weird left behind books or something. And, uh, and, and, and I just knew like at the end, I'm going to ride like on this horse. And, and I remember I used to be really sad because I'd get to be on the horse, but then Jesus was just going to use his tongue to kill everybody. Uh, so I wouldn't even get to do any killing. Uh, but he's like, oh, I'm going to be a warrior in that battle and all this. But that's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're not just imagining ourselves as warriors. We're not just imagining ourselves as, oh, you need to, you're, oh, we're a fighter. Oh, I'm a fighter. God has called us to fight. We're not just warriors because we want to be. We're warriors because that's what God has called us to be. We haven't willed ourselves into the army of the Lord. We're not crafting our own reality here. We're soldiers because that's what God calls us. God calls us soldiers. So look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. So the first thing we have to see is we are called to fight. We are called to be, we're not just called to be standers, we're called to be soldiers. 2 Timothy 2, 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So we are soldiers because the Lord, the Lord calls us soldiers. Why are you called, why do we call ourselves soldiers? Why do we say we've got to fight? Because that's what the Lord calls us. The Lord calls us, but he doesn't just call us soldiers. It is the Lord that has made us soldiers. Look at the very next verse. Why are we soldiers of Christ? It's not just because we decided to be. Verse 4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. In the Greek, it's the one who soldiered him. The one who made him a soldier. The one who called him a soldier. The one who said, you're a soldier. Who spoke him into soldierhood. And it's important for us to understand that soldiers is what we are. Fighters is what we are. It's not what we're called to be. God is not calling you to be a soldier. God is not saying, be a soldier. God is saying, you are, be a good one. A fighter is what you are. You might just be a bad one. He's not saying, hey, I need Christians who are willing to be soldiers. He's saying, I need Christians who understand they are soldiers. 
And it's not just some Christians who decide to fight and some Christians who don't. Everyone is a soldier. All his believers are soldiers in Christ. We've all been enlisted by the Lord in this. And so it's important for us to understand that we are soldiers. It's, it's, it's not just what we're called to be, it's what we are. And it's not just important to understand that because that's what the Lord tells us. It's also important to understand that because that's what the enemy understands. The enemy certainly understands that you're soldiers. And the enemy is going to treat you as soldiers, whether you treat yourself like a soldier or not. In fact, the enemy might like it for you to think you're not a soldier and him to keep treating you as a soldier. Because look, for example, at James chapter 4. So James chapter 4, verse 1. What does it say? What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? So here we've got James. We've got all sorts of people who are having problems. They're fighting. What's going on? It's because there's a war going on inside of them. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. The enemy, Christian, the enemy is not waiting for you to put on a uniform. He's not waiting for you to realize that you're a soldier. He's not holding back. The evil one's not going to hold back until you say, okay, I'm ready now. Okay, I am a soldier. Now I'll fight. You're at war with an enemy who wants to destroy you. We just need to realize that we're at war. We need to realize we're in the fight. We need to realize that the fight is what God calls us to. If you've been saved, then that salvation made you an enemy of the evil one. And his desire has been to destroy the children of the woman since the beginning. And that is still his desire. And again, we're not just potential soldiers. The Bible says we are soldiers at war. 2 Corinthians 10.3 Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Here, the question isn't, are you at war with your sin? We're all at war. The question is how we're waging the war, whether we're waging the war rightly or not. That's the real question. No, or even better than waging, are you waging the war rightly? Are you waging the war righteously? If we want to keep just a, a more biblical sort of, of word format. It's not are you in the battle. It's not Christian, are you fighting your sin? Your sin is fighting you whether you're fighting back or not. The question is you're in this war. Are you fighting well? Or are you just getting trashed? You can't say, I'm not in the, I'm not telling you to start, I'm not telling you to pick up the fight. I'm telling you to, to quit just being beaten in the fight. Some of us, when it comes to our sin, we look like that guy who's, who, who, who's just sort of taking it and taking it and taking it. It doesn't matter. You can proclaim yourself as a pacifist all you want to. There are no pacifists in this battle. You are in a war. And we've got to realize that God calls us to fight. He calls us soldiers. He enlists us as soldiers. He lets us know that the enemy sees us as soldiers. He reminds us that we're in this war. He tells us to wage the war well. I mean, everyone, everyone is at war with their sin. Everyone is at war with their sin. Some of you just aren't fighting back. Sin is fighting you. Sin is warring against you. You can't just go around and say, civilian, civilian. You know, there's no UN to come in and break up the squabble as if they ever did anything anyway. But there's no one to do that, right? So what do you do? You're, you're just not fighting back. We fight because we are soldiers of the Lord, taking part in waging war against the enemy. So why do we fight? God calls us to fight. But God doesn't just call us up and then sort of throw us into a meat grinder here. 
God doesn't call us up and say, hey, here, just go get wrecked, but I promise heaven's on the other side. Go. You know, this isn't like the Christian version of like the Russian front or something where God's just sort of hurling us out there and we're not equipped. Uh, just sort of like pitchforks against machine guns. Like the devil's got all the good weapons. We got all the bad ones. That's not what's going on. Not only does God call us, God also equips us to fight. So God calls us to fight. We see also God equips us to fight. So not only does God call us soldiers, he equips us as soldiers. Let's go back and look at the, the, at the armor that God has given us. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Look at this armor. Why did, why did God give us this armor? Why does God give us the armor? It's, a, it's the same reason. It's the same reason that he put on the armor. Why did God put it? So he gives us his armor of God, this armor of God that we've, we've already seen him talk about, that he's used before, mentioned in Isaiah, and, and that God has put on before. So, so why does he give us his armor? To do the same thing that he did in his armor. And when you read about what God did in his armor, God did not put on his armor to withstand all the bad stuff that the devil was doing. God looked and he saw that things were bad and he went, oh man, I better put my armor on because Satan's really, really strong and bad. That's not what he does. God says, all right, I put my armor on and I go and I destroy the works of the devil. And then that's the only context for us scripturally to know what God is talking about when he then comes and says, here, my armor, I give to you. Now for us to know what the Bible says about that armor before and to think that when God gives us that armor that he expects us to put it on and just kind of go, just sort of go, oh, here's my armor now. Now get ready, it's going to be bad. He expects us to use the armor the same way he used the armor, which is destroy the works of the devil, which is to fight. Not to flee, to fight. I remember when I was growing up and we talk about the armor of God and we talk about how the armor is just, it's just all about how defensive, the armor is just defensive, it's defensive, it's defensive, but you got, a, you got a sword, you got a sword or whatever. That's not really how armor works. I mean, armor, will armor protect you? Yes, but it's not, it's not, armor is worn by both attackers and defenders. Armor isn't just, so it's not, it's not like the, the attackers, they go, oh, we're attacking, we don't need any armor. And the defender's like, oh, we're defenders. Let's put on armor. Uh, and so the people who are attacking, they've just got swords. Uh, and the people who are defending, like, ha ha, armor. Uh, that's, not, that's not how it happens. Everyone is armored up, right? Everyone is armored for the battle. Armor is equipment, but it is equipment for fighting. The armor of God is not for defense. One, because God doesn't tell us it's just for defense. And two, because when you read about the armor of God previously, God did not use it just for, The armor is to prepare you, to equip you to stand against. In fact, speaking of our battles against evil, the Lord uses very offensive language in our battles against evil. And by that, I don't mean language that offends us. What I mean is that God uses language of offense rather than defense when talking to us about the war that we're in. It's the, it, it's the language, not, a, not, of, not of a strategic retreat. Okay, I'm giving you this armor, and this is how you're going to get out of this. I'm going to give you this armor, and this is how you're going to get away. It's not the language of a retreat, of a, of, of, of a strategic retreat. It's the language of, of, of like an assured victory. Here's the armor, and here's what I'm going to do through you and that armor at work in you. This is what I'm going to do. Remember, remember David's words in Psalm 18. Go back to Psalm 18, because I love this passage. Psalm 18, 
Go down to verse 28. Remember the confidence that the Lord gives us going, in, going into these fights against, against evil. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. And by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield to all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer. He set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You've given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand has supported me. Your gentleness has made me great. Now this is when you're reading, this is not, this, this is not just a confidence of somebody who's like, hey, I can survive the fight. It's the confidence of someone who's taking battle to the enemy. He's running, which is I can run, but not away. He doesn't say, he doesn't say I can, you know, I can run away from a troop of people. He says I can run against a troop. You can put a troop of bad guys out there. And if I've got the Lord, he's with me, he's equipped me, he's empowering me, then I can run against the troop. I can leap, what he's I can leap overall. He's not hiding behind a wall. This isn't someone who said, I, you know, I can hide behind the wall. I can, he says, I can leap over the wall. But, but this, this offensive reality for the Christian is true, even in describing the armor itself. Because, because it, it'd be fine if you wanted to say that, that the armor and the shield, that, that those are defensive in nature. And that's certainly true. They do block attacks. But they're attacks that are expected to come at you when you attack an assailant, when you attack the enemy. But even if, even if you just wanted to say the armor was, and the shield, those are purely defensive, which I would say you have a real hard time convincing me of because of the Bible. Uh, even if you wanted to say that, and I was like, all right, I just don't have time for that. You still got a, you still got a what? You've got a sword, right? You've got a sword, uh, the sword of the word of God. And, and remember, the word of God is always our best weapon in attacking the evil one. And think about it, in the temptation of Jesus, how did Jesus meet every single temptation of Satan? So here we've got an example of the fight against the evil one. How did he, how did he handle every single temptation? He handled it with the word of God. So what did Satan say? say? Satan said, command these stones to become bread. What does Jesus say? It is written, right? It is written. And he gives his answer. And then, and then, then what does Satan say? Prove you're the son of God by, 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 by throwing yourself out and let the angels keep you from falling and hitting the ground. And what does Jesus say? It is written. It is written. And, and then Satan says, I'll give, I'll give you the world if you worship me. And then, and then Jesus gets upset. And he says, be gone. It is written. <laughs> but in every single battle, when the battle comes, it is the word of the Lord. And so, so in your fight, and you're fighting against the enemy, and we'll talk more about this next week, the word of the Lord had better be on your, that is your sword. 
That is the sword with which you fight. Now, the, the other things can help you in the blows of the enemy because the enemy's not just going to take it, so the enemy's going to give blows back, and it's going to be a battle, right? This is not like a, 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 a turn-based spiritual warfare where I attack and then I wait. Not, like, there's, a, there's an, a, an attacking and defending going on the whole time. You're battling him. He's battling you. Teeth, claws, everything. As you're jabbing the sword in, he's not just letting it happen. There, he's, a, he's attacking you with all of his might. You're going to need that arm. You're going to need your righteousness. You're going to need the helmet of salvation. Why? Because you're attacking and you're driving the sword into the heart of the beast the beast ain't just taking it but as you're attacking what you better be attacking with is the word of the lord it better be on your lips in fact second corinthians actually talks we see that we see the sword this reality okay so how do we know it's offensive we've got he equips us for the battle he didn't just equip us defensively he equips us offensively uh so here we've got we've got the sword uh second corinthians paul actually ups our weaponry we get it we can upgrade here second corinthians chapter six verse seven by truthful speech and the power of god with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. So we're like dual wielding here, right? So our, our, our hands are filled with weapons. Now, these are not the world's weapons. These are weapons of, of righteousness. But our hands are not empty. And, that's, and, and, and it doesn't say, I give you a shield for the right hand and for the left hand. Which you very well could have said. Like, I give you armor, and then, and then the Lord has given you a shield for the right hand and the left hand. That would, that would, that would say something thematically. But when he doesn't say, I give you a shield for the right hand and a shield for the left, we're like, I got two shields. There's no way he's getting in. But when he says, I give you weapons in both hands. That's an important descriptor. This is an important modifier and understander of what we're doing in this. Because he doesn't just give us the weapons. He gives us the weapons and the weapons are meant to win. Because look, look at what Paul says just in a couple chapters later when he puts these weapons to work. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. We saw that. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy. To destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of the Lord and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So the, the sword of the Lord, the, the weapons of our righteousness, when wielded against evil rather than in evil, they have divine power behind them. And with that divine power, they destroy. Your weapons are meant not to defend, but to destroy. To fight. To destroy even the strongholds of the enemy. Here again, we see how these weapons are meant to be used. Not just to defend ourselves, but to attack evil. Again, this is offensive language. The enemy has a stronghold. But it cannot stop our weapon. I don't know if you know this. I don't know how much you're into military history, but strongholds are not offensive weapons. You know, no one's ever like, no one's ever like, okay, release the strongholds. You know, I mean, the strongholds are where you go back when you're being beaten. We're coming against the enemy. He's holed up. He's in his stronghold. And even that is not enough because our weapons have divine power to destroy strongholds. To destroy arguments, lofty opinions raised against him. To take every thought captive 
to Christ. We destroy and we take captives. In the battle against, against evil, because Christ is king, the Christian does not defend, the Christian destroys. I mean, the, we have to understand, as Christian, the Christian is not a conservative. I mean, sa- Satan loves a good conservative who just wants to keep things how they are. I mean, Satan is a good conservative. Right? He wants to, he's trying to hold on to all that he can. He's, he's locked up in that stronghold, ready to go. And Satan, Satan will let our conservatism win if he can keep his strongholds. Christ does not conserve, Christ advances. One stronghold, one enemy at a time. Till all the enemies are under his feet. He must reign until they're all under his feet. They, they might, the, the, these strongholds, they might be strongholds in your life. They might be strongholds in your culture. But we are not passive and we're certainly not just trying to survive. The sword of God's word is given to us to win. Our faith has been weaponized against Satan's attacks and against Satan's defenses. It's weaponized in a winning way. The weapons of the Lord with divine power fill our right and our left hand, and they will destroy everything, every stronghold that the enemy thinks he has. And if we believe that, and if we understand the purpose of those weapons that way, it will affect how we fight. It will affect whether we fight going forward or going backward. We fight against enemy, our enemies, and we fight against evil. Because that's what we've been equipped to do. So the armor of God is not for hiding. The armor is for fighting. We have weapons of the kingdom. And those are not just for show. They are for fighting. They're not just for surviving. They're for winning. So we fight because God calls us to fight. We fight because God equips us to fight. We have weapons in both our hands. And we're not just sitting there going, well, what am I supposed to do with these? Uh, Our hands are filled with weapons that are meant to destroy the strongholds of the evil one. uh, And that's what they will do when we use them righteously. and not in an evil way. So we fight for those reasons, but we also fight because God commands us to fight. So God doesn't just call us to fight. He didn't just call us soldiers. He didn't just enlist us as soldiers. He didn't just say, hey, soldier, uh, and then here's your weapons. And we're just like, okay. And now he's like, well, you just go do what you want. But remember, I called you soldier, so think of yourself that way. Uh, He doesn't just do that uh, sort of, you know, ontologically, like just how we think of ourselves. I think I'm a soldier. He commands us to fight. So he calls us soldiers. He says, you're a soldier. I've enlisted you in the battle, given you armor, given you weapons. Now, what do you do with those? Go fight. Go fight when? Now, go get 1 Timothy chapter 6. God doesn't just enlist us in the battle. He doesn't just soldiers. He commands that we fight. 1 Timothy 6, 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Verse 12, 1 Timothy 6. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life, which you are called and about which you've made good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Pursue, fight, hold on. Fight, fight that good fight. You cannot be a good Christian and not be fighting. The Christian is called, commanded to fight. And it, it's interesting. Paul actually begins and ends. So in, in terms of 1 Timothy, Paul begins and ends this first letter to Timothy by calling him to fight. The very beginning of the letter, 1 Timothy chapter 1. So this is chapter 6. It's the very end of the book. But you go to the very beginning of this letter to, first, to, to Timothy and Paul tells him, 
This charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. What does Paul want for Timothy? Not just that Timothy would just fight. That's a given. He's going to be in the fight. He doesn't say, I want, you to, I, want you to, I want you to make war against the enemy. You're in the war. He wants him to wage good warfare. He wants him to fight well. And so that's why later on he says, look, you need to fight the good fight. He wants him to wage good war. So, so beginning in 1 Timothy, end of 1 Timothy, fight, fight. War, fight, do good. It's even more interesting when you go to 2 Timothy, because it's going to continue... And you're going to see Paul's final words to, them, to Timothy. And if you know 2 Timothy, his, his final words really in Scripture, as, as he is awaiting execution, are about his own fight. So 2 Timothy 4.7, what does he say? We all know it. I have what? Fought the good fight. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And notice Paul doesn't call Timothy to do something that he himself is not already doing. Paul's fight may be ending, but Paul's fight is ending because his life is ending. Look at at how the rest of that verse goes. Henceforth, verse 8, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We fight because our king has commanded us to fight. He tells us, fight the good fight, wage good warfare. You're in a war, do good warfare. You're in a fight, fight well. Because I've called you, you're my soldier, I've given you my equipment, you're in my armor. With my weapons. So for my namesake, fight a good fight. If we are faithful servants of Christ, then we cannot choose not to fight. There are no draft dodgers in God's army. To deny the war is just to lose it. To deny the command to fight is just to deny the faith. We fight because God calls us to fight. We fight because God equips us to fight. We fight because God commands us to fight. And we fight because God encourages encourages us in the fight. God encourages us in the fight. Uh, in, in, in waging war against the evil one, our God is relentlessly optimistic to us. Uh, very much, when it comes to our success against the evil one, God is relentlessly optimistic for us. And that encouragement is something we should remember in the fight because God wants us to remember these things. He wants us when we go, he reminds us of these things as we go into war. So God, 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 God calls us soldiers, he equips us as soldiers, he commands us to fight, and as we go out to fight, and in the midst of fight, he encourages us in our fight. He reminds us to be optimistic, even as we face the evil one. And even as we've lost battles in the midst of that war, he still encourages us. And that encouragement is something we should remember, because God wants us to remember, he wants us to go into the war, not expecting defeat, but victory. So what does God tell us? God tells us, you will win. God tells us, you will win. You will win. So take, for example, Romans 16. Romans 16, 20. We all know it's a great, great verse to give us just sort of encouragement. The God of peace will what? Soon crush whom? Satan. Under what? Under your feet. 
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So let's look at, let's look at second, uh, Romans 16, 20. And let's, go, uh, uh, let's look at the context here. Let's go back to verse 17 to see what's going on to set up uh, God crushing Satan under, under our feet. I, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Then you get verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So, so what he's saying here, and, and so he's saying that Satan is the one doing all these things. These people, he's trying to, to use, uh, use people in the church to cause division, to create obstacles to the truth of the gospel. He says, avoid these types of people. They're not serving themselves, uh, or they're just serving themselves. They're, they're actually bad for others, but, but these people, they're not just the problem. They, they are methods of attack actually from the evil one. So Paul says at the end of this, he says, hey, look, you avoid these people. You don't do this. They're going to try and they're trying to create obstacles. They're trying to create division. You just avoid them. You be faithful. God will crush Satan under your feet. They're trying to do this evil. You be innocent to the evil that they're doing. You don't take part in the evil that they're doing. You don't, you don't. So in other words, when you find out that someone is doing something wrong, you don't go, ah, now's my, now I, I mean, I've got to do wrong to, to, to do that, uh, to solve the wrong they're doing. You continue to do right. Uh, and what will the Lord do? The Lord will crush Satan because that's who's really causing this in Romans 16. The Lord will crush Satan under your feet. So you got these people causing division in the church. They're, they're hindering people from joining the church. You don't worry. They're wrong. They're being driven by, by bad motives. You keep obedient. You know that God is going to crush Satan under your feet. So here you've got soldiers in the middle of this war, a war that is, that is fracturing their church and frustrating their evangelism. And God says, don't worry. Don't worry. You, you won't just crush them you're going to crush the one who's actually behind them. He doesn't, say, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't say the God of peace will soon crush them under your feet. You do what's right. You be obedient. Uh, you be innocent to evil and God will crush them under your feet. He, he, he upset. He says, you're not just going to crush them under your feet. You're going to crush the one who's ultimately behind them under your feet. You're going to crush Satan under your feet. It'd be optimistic if God were just to say, hey, uh, so he says, don't you worry, you, you, you won't just crush them, you'll crush the one behind them. Again, it, would be, it would be nice, it would be good, it would be very optimistic if God had said, hey, I will crush them. That would be optimistic. That'd be one level of optimism. One level of optimism would be in verse 20 for him to say, hey, don't worry, I'm going to crush them under my feet. That would be very optimistic for us. We could read that and go, okay, everything's going to be fine. God's going to crush them under his feet. The, the optimism and encouragement is made exponentially greater, though, in what we've got here. When it is you, not me, will crush, not them, but Satan under your feet. You, you won't just crush these specific enemies. You'll, you'll crush their leader. That's an astoundingly optimistic and encouraging statement. That your foot is going to crush them. Why? Because the God of peace is going to crush them under your feet. But God takes the encouragement even further. Not only will you win, so you will win, 
The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Uh, Not only will you win, you have already won. Which is always a good thing to hear when you're about to go out into doing something to know, hey, you've already won. Uh, So we know that God has won our deliverance, but we also see in Scripture an assurance not only that Christ has won then, but that we've won now. So look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. He says, I'm I'm writing to you fathers because you have known him who's from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. You have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who's from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. There's another, you know, the the word of God in this battle and you have overcome the evil one. Now, this this is not a promise that we will overcome the evil one. Here John tells him that we already have. Our our deliverance is not only certain, our deliverance is is accomplished. It's not just that we will overcome the evil one, we already have overcome him. It is is one thing going into a fight to know you are going to win. It's another thing to fight knowing you have already won. All right, so again, be a good soldier. Be a good soldier. uh, Be a good soldier or don't complain about the consequences, I guess I'd say. Be a good soldier. The Lord's called you to be a good soldier. If you're not going to be a good soldier and and you just let the enemy walk all over you until you get to eternity, just don't complain about the consequences in your life. Uh, And and really, really question what type of soldier you have been called to be. So all of us are called to be soldiers. Be a good one. Uh, Next, don't just survive. uh, Fight. Uh, some of us, again, have been expecting victory, uh, and we haven't been experienced. We've been expecting victory, but we're not experiencing uh, a bunch of victory. And uh, sometimes because we're not trying to win. We're just trying to survive. If you're just trying to survive instead of trying to win, then you're probably not taking... If, if the only, thing, the only time you take up the sword is to kind of be like, ah, uh, and just sort of survive the battle, turn, face your battle, and kill it. And having that mindset is important. If you just kind of close your eyes and let what happens happen, you're just trying to hang on. But if you're, if you're seeing the battle, you're facing it, you realize you have the sword of the word, which is able to destroy any, uh, anything that comes against you. It's able to not just destroy what comes against you, but enables you to be able to take it to the enemy and destroy it. That gives you a whole, that whole, that mindset is way different when it comes to your sin. If you feel like your sin is just this thing that's constantly going to be tearing you down and constantly have you, you know, to the end of your life and you, you'll never be able to win any battle or anything and you're just sort of, hanging on like that cat and that poster or whatever like that if that's the way you view spiritual war is just sort of hanging on and at the end the lord's gonna gonna catch you but if instead you realize hey the lord's given me this armor and and a sword and told me now go and fight go and fight not just go and survive go and fight and some of us need to take the battle to our sins some of us have have we, we've just sort of been hiding in our armor and we haven't been taking up the sword that god has given us and, and, and it's all because we've been doing this for so long, we just end up trying to survive, trying to survive. We're trying to survive in our marriages. We're just trying to survive in, in the life we've got right now. We're just trying to survive as parents. Don't just survive the enemy's attacks. Go on the offensive against them. Take what God has taught you in his word, the sword that he's given you. This is what you need to do. This is something you need to fix in your life. The word of God has given that to you. He said, here's the stronghold in your life. 
This is the thing that's making your life bad, not what it needs to be, not what it should be. The enemy has planted in your life. I don't care how. I don't care if it's because you, your parents were, were, you had a bad example from your parents' marriage and that's affected you now. I don't care if, you know, you made, you made bad decisions when you were younger and so that's affected you now. Like, this is the stronghold. What do you do? You go and you don't just go, I'm going to survive this stronghold. No, you go and you destroy the stronghold. You destroy it with the word of the Lord. Take the things that God has taught you and put to death the strongholds in your life, so that you could take even every thought captive for Christ. But if, if we've been working our whole life just sort of trying to survive the strongholds or survive the attack, instead of recognizing, no, go on the offensive and destroy that however you need to do it. Take what the Word of God has ca- taught you and do all of what His Word says until that stronghold is dead, until it is destroyed. So don't just survive, Fight. Because again, fighting isn't optional. Fighting is not optional for us. One, because the enemy is going to make war on you, so you can't just not fight. The enemy is going to make war on you. And two, God's commanded you to fight. He's commanded you to fight, and he's commanded you to fight well. So if you're going to be obedient to your Lord, you're not only going to have to fight, you're going to have to fight well. So you can't, there's no getting out of this. And lastly, I would say, remember your victory. Remember your victory. Remember what's coming. Remember what has already come, which is your victory. As we continue our battle and continue to wage war against these defeated foes, one of the important things for us to remember as we fight is to remember that we're already on the side of victory. That's going to keep us from losing confidence. And it's going to remind us, it's going to remind us that, that we as Christians are attackers, not defenders. We're, we're plunderers, not preppers. We're not conservatives, we're conquerors. And, and, and mindset matters. How you think about the fight matters. And in relaying our victory mindset, the Bible says this is twofold. One, remember the victory of Christ. Remember the victory that's been won. And two, Remember that we are victors, that though Christ has won the battle, we too are victors. Not just victors by proxy, we have overcome the evil one through him. So when thinking about war against evil, we must remember that not only have we been delivered, we've been changed. And that change is real. It prepares us for battle. It turns sinners into soldiers. And it doesn't just prepare us for war, it prepares us to win. So Christian, fight the good fight. Claim your crown from the hand of your Lord and King. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that God, we would would take what you have told us about the war that we are in, that you have enlisted us in, this this fight against the evil one, that we, we began to take part of when, when you pulled us out of his kingdom and put us in yours. From that point on, we were his enemies. And sometimes, Father, we're waking up to that reality. And, 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 and even if we're just, maybe even just waking up to the fact that we're in the fight and realizing that we're not just in the fight and supposed to survive, you then up it and say, no, 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 you're not supposed to survive. You can stand. Just, yes, I can stand. I can stand. I can stand. But no, 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 no. Don't just stand. Fight. Fight him. Fight against your sin. Slay your sin. Don't just survive it. Slay it. Kill it. 
May we kill our sin, Father. May we destroy every stronghold that it is in our lives or in our culture or wherever. May we, may we take the battle to the, the evil one and his things. May we be good soldiers for you. May we take the, take the promises that you've given us that you, you will crush Satan under our feet. These, these promises that, that encourage us to allow us to not just cower in front of the things we've struggled with and, and the consequences of them and, and battles we've lost maybe for years, Father. We've been losing. We say we've refused to fight them, Father, but we haven't been refusing to fight them. We've just been losing them. Because the refusal to fight is an acceptance of the attack of the enemy on us. And he continues to attack and continues to attack and we don't fix it, we don't change it. We're not just setting it aside. We're just letting it lose. And the consequences are ripping through our lives. They're ripping through our marriages. They're ripping through our friendships. They're ripping through our churches. They're ripping through our kids. All because we do not stand and we do not fight. Forgive us, Father. Forgive us. This is a matter of confession and repentance, Lord. Because you've told us to fight against the evil one. And there are many times in our sin, Father, that we do not do that. There are many times that we're willing to fight in these other areas and let this one go, and like a cancer, it spreads. Help us to take up the weapons you've given us for the right hand and for the left and to wage the good of warfare, to destroy the strongholds of our enemy, to take every thought captive for obedience to you, to fight, to fight right, to fight righteously, because we bear your name. But your name isn't just written on our hearts. Your name is written on our armor. And you call us to fight. You call us to fight well. And you encourage us that you will enable us to do so. For your glory, Lord. And for our good. May we be obedient. May we stand. And may we fight. It's in Christ's name we pray. And it's in Christ's name that we only can fight. Amen.